Chapter 19 of In Freedom's Cause. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gabrielle C. In Freedom's Cause by G. A. Henty. Chapter 19 The Convent of St. Kenneth. Bruce, as a result of his successes, was now able to leave his fastnesses and establish himself in the districts of Carrick, Kyle, and Cunningham. Pembroke had established himself at Bothwell Castle and sent a challenge to Bruce to meet him with his force at Loden Hill. Although his previous experience of such challenges was unfortunate, Bruce accepted the offer. He had learned much since the battles of Methven and was not likely again to be caught asleep. On the ninth of May he assembled his forces at Loudon Hill. It was but a small following. Douglas had brought a hundred men from Douglasdale, and Archie Forbes had as many under his banner. Bruce's own vassals had gathered, two hundred strong, and as many more of the country people had joined. But in all, the Scotch force did not exceed six hundred men, almost entirely on fort and armed with spears. Bruce at once reconnoitred the ground to discover a spot where his little force might best withstand the shock of Pembroke's scout chivalry. Bruce at once reconnoitred the ground to discover a spot where his little force might best withstand the shock of Pembroke's chivalry. He found that at one place near the hill the road crossed a level meadow with deep morasses on either side. He strengthened the position with trenches and calmly awaited the approach of his enemy. Upon the day following, Pembroke's army was seen approaching, numbering three thousand knights and mounted men-at-arms, all in complete armor. They were formed in two divisions. The battle was almost a repetition of that which had been fought by Wallace near the same spot. The English chivalry leveled their spears and charged with proud confidence of their ability to sweep away the rabble of spearmen in front of them. Their flanks became entangled in the morasses. Their center tried in vain to break through the hedge of Scottish spears, and when they were in confusion, the king, his brother Edward, Douglas, Archie Forbes, and some twenty other mountain men dashed through a gap in the spearmen and fell upon them. The second division, seeing the first broken and in confusion, turned and took to flight at once, and Pembroke and his attendants rode, without drawing rein, to Bothwell Castle. A few days later, Bruce encountered and defeated Ralph de Montemere, Earl of Gloucester, and compelled him to shut himself up in the castle of Ayr. Archie Forbes was not present upon the second battle, for upon the morning after the fight at Loudon Hill, he was aroused by a servant entering his tent. A messenger has just brought this, he said, handing him a small packet. He bids me tell you that the sender is a prisoner in the convent of St. Kenneth, on Loch Leven, and prays your aid. Archie opened the packet and found within it the ring he had given to Marjorie at Dunstaffnage. Without a moment's delay he hurried to the king and begged permission to leave him for a short time on urgent business, taking with him twenty of his retainers. What is your urgent business, Sir Archie? the king asked. A lady is in the case, I warrant me. Whenever a young knight has urgent business, be sure that a lady is in question. Now mind, Sir Archie, I have, as I have told you, set my heart upon marrying you to Mistress Mary Care, and so at once putting an end to a long feud and doubling your possessions. Her retainers fought well yesterday, and the least I can do is to reward so splendid a damsel as to bestow upon her the hand of my bravest knight. I fear, sire, Archie said, laughing, that she must be content with another. There are plenty who will deem themselves well paid for their services in your cause by the gift of the hand of so rich an heiress. But I must be excused, for as I told you, sire, when we were together in Rathlin Island, my heart was otherwise bestowed. What, through the niece of that malignant enemy of mine, Alexander of Lorne? the king said, laughing. 
her friends would rather see you on the gibbet than at the altar i care not for her friends archie said if i can get herself my own lands are wide enough and i need no dowry with my wife i see you are hopeless the king replied well go archie but whatever be your errands beware of the lorns remember i have scarce begun to win scotland yet and cannot spare you a quarter of an hour later archie with twenty picked men took his way northward avoiding all towns and frequented roads archie marched rapidly north to the point of renfrew and crossed the firth of clyde by boats then he kept north on the head of loch fine and avoiding dalmally skirted the head of loch Ative and the slopes of ben nevis and so came down on loch levin the convents are at the extremity of a promontory jutting into the lake the neck was very narrow and across it were strong walls with the gate and flanking towers between this wall and the convent was the garden where the inmates walked and enjoyed the air free from the sight of men save indeed of fishers who might be passing in their boats outside the wall on the shore of the lake stood a large village and here a strong body of the retainers of the convent was always on guard for at st kenneth were many of the daughters of scotch nobles sent there either to be out of the way during the troubles or to be educated by the nuns although the terrors of sacrilege and the ban of the church might well deter any from laying hands upon the convent yet even in those days of superstition some were found so fierce and irreverent as to dare even the anger of the church to carry out their wishes and the possession of some of these heiresses might well enable them to make good terms for themselves both with the church and the relations of their captives therefore a number of the retainers were always under guard a guard was placed on the gate and lookouts on the flanking towers their duty being not only to watch the land side but to shout orders to keep at a distance to any fisherman who might approach too closely to promontory archie left his party in the forest under the command of william orr he dressed himself as a mountaineer and accompanied by cluny campbell and carrying a buck which they had shot in the forest went boldly down to the village he soon got into conversation with an old fisherman and offered to exchange the deer for dry fish the bargain was quickly struck and then archie said i have never been out on the lake and would fain have a view of the convent from the water will you take me and my brother out for a row the fisherman who had made a good bargain at once assented and rode archie and cluny far out into the lake as they passed along at some distance archie saw that the shore was in several places smooth and shelving and that there would be no difficulty in effecting a landing he saw also that there were many clubs of trees and shrubs in the garden and do the nuns and ladies at the convent often walk there he asked the fisherman oh yes he said of an evening as they come back from fishing i can see numbers of them walking there when the vesper bell rings they all go in that is the chapel adjoining the convent on this side it is a strong building archie said when they passed the end of the promontory as they obtained a full view of it it is more like a castle than a convent it had need be strong the old man said for some of the richest terraces in scotland are shut up there on the land side i believe there are no windows on the lower story and the door is said to be a solid iron the windows on that side are all strongly barred and he would have hard work indeed who wouldn't by force of strategy to steal one of the pretty burgs out of that cage archie had no idea of using force and although he had been to some extent concerned the breach of the sanctuary at dumfries he would have shrunk from the idea of violating the sanctuary of st kenneth but to his mind there was no breach whatever at that sanctuary and aiding one kept there against her will to make her escape having ascertained all that he wished to know he bade the boatman return to shore keep a lookout for me he said for i may return in a few days with another buck and maybe bring a comrade or two with me who would like an afternoon's fishing on the lake i suppose you could lend me your boat and nets assuredly the fisherman replied 
you will not mind taking into consideration the hire of the boat and agreeing for the weight of fish to be given for the stag archie nodded secretly amused at the old man's covetousness for he knew that the weight of fish he had given him for the stag which he had brought down was not one-fourth the value of the meat he then returned with Clooney to the band some time before daybreak he came down to the place again and entering the water quietly at a distance from the promontory swung noiselessly out and landed at the garden and there concealed himself in the clump of bushes daylight came an hour later some of the nuns of the second order who belonged to four families and acted as servants in the convent, came out into the garden and busied themselves with the cultivation of flowers, vegetables, and herbs. Not till the afternoon did any of the other inmates appear, but at about four o'clock the great door of the convent opened, and a number of women and girls streamed out. The former were all in nuns' attire, as were a few of the latter, but their garment was somewhat different from that of the elder sisters. These were the novices. The greater number, however, of the girls were dressed in ordinary attire, and were the pupils of the convent. While the nuns walked quietly up and down or sat on benches and read, the pupils scattered in groups, laughing and talking merrily together. Among these, Archie looked eagerly for Marjorie. He felt sure that her imprisonment could be detention only, and not rigorous seclusion. Presently he espied her. She was walking with two of the nuns and three or four of the elder residents of the convent, for many of these were past the age of pupildom, and were there simply as a safe place of refuge during troublous times. The conversation appeared to be an animated one. It was not for some time that the crew passed within hearing of Archie's place of concealment. Then Archie heard the voice of one of the nuns raised in anger. It is monstrous what you say, and it is presumptuous and wicked for a young girl of eighteen to form opinions for herself. What should we come to if every young woman were to venture to think and judge for herself? Discord and disorder would be wrought in every family. All your relations and friends are opposed to the sacrilegious murderer, Robert Bruce. The church has solemnly brand him, and yet you venture to uphold his cause. But the Bishop of Glasgow, Marjorie said, and many other good prelates of our church side with him, and surely there must be good judges with their sins are unpardonable. Do not argue with me, the sister said angrily. I tell you this obstinacy will be permitted no longer. Had it not been that Alexander of Florin begged that we should be not harsh with you, such would long since have been taken to bring you to reason. But we can no longer permit this advocacy of rebellion, and the last immediately step which you took of setting at defiance your friends and relatives, and even of sending messages hence, must be punished. The abbess bade me reason with you and try and turn your obstinate will. Your cousins obeyed not care of appeal to you in vain. This can no longer be tolerated. The Lady Abbess bids me tell you that she gives you three days to amount to medical opinions you have so forwardly held, and to accept the husband with whom your uncle and guardian has chosen for you, your cousin John of Lorne, his son. During that time no one will say to you, if at the end of three days you are still contumacious, you will be confined to your cell on bread and water until better thoughts come to you. While the conversation had been going on, the little group had halted near the bushes. They now turned away, leaving Marjorie standing by herself. The girl sat down on the bench close to where she had been standing, exclaiming to herself as she did so, They may shut me up as a prisoner for life, but I will never consent to take sides against the cause of Scotland or to marry John of Lorne. Oh, who is there? she exclaimed, starting suddenly to her feet as a man's voice behind her said, Quite right, Mistress Marjorie, well and bravely resolved, but pray sit down again and assume an attitude of indifference. Who is it that speaks? the girl asked in a tremulous voice, resuming her seat. It is your true knight, lady, Archibald Forbes, who has come to rescue you from this captivity. But how can you rescue me? the girl said after a long pause. 
Do you know the consequences if you are found here within the bounds of the convent? I care nothing for the consequences, Archie said. I have in the woods twenty stout followers. I propose tomorrow to be with three of them on the lake of fishing. A few, when the bell rings for your return in the evening, will enter that little copse by the side of the lake, and will show yourself at the water's edge. We will both straight in and take you off long ere the guards can come hither to hinder us. The lake is narrow, and we can reach the other side before any boat can overtake us. There my followers will be awaiting us, and we can escort you to a place of safety. It is fortunate that you are ordered to be apart from the rest. None, therefore, will mark you as you linger behind when the bell rings for vespers. Marjorie was silent for some time. But, Sir Knight, she said, whither am I to go? For of all my friends not one, save the good priest, but is leagued against me. I can take you either to the bishop at Glasgow, who is a friend of Bruce and whom I know well. He will, I am sure, take charge of you. Or if you will, lady, I can place you with my mother, who will receive you as a daughter. But what, the girl said hesitatingly, will people say at my running away from convent with a young knight? Let them say what they will, Archie said. All good Scots, when they know that you have been in prison here solely from the love of your country, will applaud the deed. And should you prefer it, the king will, I know, place you in charge of the wife of one of the nobles who attends to him, and will give you his protection and countenance. Think, lady, if you do not take this opportunity of gaining your freedom, it may never occur again. For if you are once shut up in your cell, as I heard threatened, nothing save an attack by force of arms, which would be sheer sacrilege, can rescue you from it. Surely, he urged, as the girl remained silent, you can trust yourself with me. Do I not owe my life to you? And I swear that so long as you remain in my charge, I will treat you as my sister in all honor and respect. For some minutes the girl made no answer. At length, she said, standing up and half turning toward the bushes, I will trust you, Sir Archie. I know you to be a brave and honorable knight, and I will trust you. I know tis a strange step to take, and the world will blame me, but what can I do? If I refuse your offer, I shall be kept here until I consent to marry John of Lorne whom I hate, for as I was far from cruel as his father, without the kindness of heart, which, save in his angry moments, the latter has ever had toward me. All my relations are against me, and struggle against my fate as I may. I must end bend to their will if I remain here. Tis a hard choice to make, but what can I do? Yes, I will trust to your honor, and may God and all the saints punish you if you are false to your trust. Tomorrow evening, as the vespers are chiming, I will be at the water's edge, behind yonder clump of birches. Then, with head bent down in slow steps, Marjorie returned to the convent, none addressing her as she passed through the groups of her commandments, the order that she was to be shut out from the rest having already been issued. Archie remained in his place of concealment until the gardens were deserted and night had fallen. Then he left his hiding place and, entering the lake, swung quietly away and landed far beyond the village. An hour's walk brought him to the encampment of his comrades. At daybreak next morning, the band, under the command of William Orr, started for their long march round the head of the lake to the position which they were to take up on the opposite side facing the convent. Archie choosing three of the number most accustomed to the handling of orders to remain with him. With these he set out on a hunt as soon as the main body had left, and by midday had succeeded in killing a stag. With this swung on a pole carried by his followers, Archie proceeded to the village. He speedily found the fisherman with whom he had bargained. "'I did not expect you back again so soon,' the old man said. "'We killed a buck this morning,' Archie said carelessly, "'and my friends thought that the afternoon would be fine for fishing.' "'You can try if you like,' the fisherman said, "'but I fear that you will have but little sport. 
The day is too bright and clear, and the fish will be sulking at the bottom of the lake. We'll try, Archie said. Nevertheless, even if the sport is bad, it will be pleasant out on the lake, and if we catch nothing, we'll get you to give us some fresh fish instead of dry. The folks in the hills will be no wiser, and it will not do for us to return empty-handed. The fisherman assented and placed the oars and nets in the boat, and Archie's companions, entering, rowed out into the middle of the lake, then throwing it over the nets, buzzing themselves with fishing. As the old man had predicted, their sport was but small, but this concerned them little. Thinking that they might be watched, they continued steadily all the afternoon casting a drawing in the nets until the sun neared the horizon. Then they gathered the nets into the boats and rowed quietly towards the shore. And just as they were abreast the end of the promontory, the bell of the chapel began to ring the vespers. A few more strokes and Archie could see the clump of bushes. Well, quietly now, he said, still steering toward the village. He was about a hundred yards distant from the shore of the convent garden. Just as he came abreast of the bushes, the foliage was parted, and Marjorie appeared at the edge of the water. In an instant, the boat's head was turned towards the shore, and the three rowers bent to the oars. A shout from the watchman in the turret showed that he had been watching the boat, and that the sudden change of his course had excited his alarm. The shower was repeated again and again as the boat neared the shore, and just as the keel grated on the other stand, the outer gate was open and some armed man was seen running into the garden, but they were still two hundred yards away. Marjorie leapt lightly into the boat. The men pushed off, and before the retainers of the convent reached the spot, the boat was beating a great over the lake. Archie gave up to Marjorie a seat in the stern, and himself took an oar. Loch Levin, though of considerable length, is narrow and the boat was nearly a third of the way across it before two or three craft were seen putting out from the village in pursuit, and although these gained somewhat, the fugitive reached another shore at long distance in advance. William Moore and his men were at the landing place, and soon the whole party were hurrying through the wood. They had no fear of instant pursuit, for even in the fast-gathering gloom those in the boats would have perceived the accession of force which they had received on landing, and would not venture to follow. But before morning the news of the evasion was spread far and wide, and there would be a hot pursuit among the mountains. Scarce a word had been spoken in the boat. Marjorie was pale and agitated, and Archie thought it best to leave her to herself. On the way through the wood he kept beside her, assisting her over rough places, and occasionally saying a few encouraging words. When darkness had completely set in, three or four torches were lit, and they continued their way until midnight. Several times Archie had proposed a halt, but Marjorie insisted that she was perfectly able to continue her way for some time longer. At midnight, however, he halted. We will stop here, he said. My men have been marching ever since daybreak, and tomorrow we must journey fast and far. I propose that we keep due east for some time, and then along by Loch Vanoc, then across the Grampians by the Pesticilli Cranky, when we can make down the Perth, and so to Stirling. The news of your escape will fly fast to the south, and the tracks to Tarbert and the Clyde will all be watched. But if we start at daybreak, we will be far on our way east before they begin to search the hills here, and even if they think of our making in this direction, we will be a killy cranky before they can cut us off. End of chapter 19 Recording by Gabrielle C.